Hey guys, this is Rick Godwin, pastor of Summit Church here in San Antonio. Thanks for joining us today. You know, we're excited to have you on our podcast. Our goal is to inspire you and to challenge you and help everyone realize their full potential in Christ. Now enjoy the message. Listen, let me say thank you for your time. And I really love the fact you, like me, want to learn. I want to know something I don't know, and I want to keep growing. Everything rises and falls on leadership, whether it's your home, sports team, politics, uh, leading, leading a small group. Everything rises and falls on it. The other thing is there's no one size that fits all. So when you read through the Bible, you discover all kinds of different personalities, temperament, and style. So you have to wear the suit that fits you, but you can use principles that cross every boundary. So these principles will help you whether you're in business, whether you have a family, whether it's the church or a spiritual uh, department or a department in a, a corporation, they all work. Principles work for everybody. That's what's really nice about them. And all I want to do is give you basics. So tonight I want to give you eight words that define leadership of anything. Eight words that define leadership of anything. Number one, distortion. Distortion. If you're going to lead, you're going to deal with regular distortion. So in our society and in our culture, people tend to speak in absolutes while it's not absolute. So as a leader, these are some things you'll hear. Well, everybody feels this way. Well, everybody's saying this. Well, everybody is thinking this. So they've taken something that is probably their thought and something they passionately feel, and they've added distortion to it. So they make it sound like a national poll has been taken in America, and we've looked at a thousand people, and that will describe every nuance in America. So it's been polled, and we know everyone feels this way and thinks this way. So as a leader, a lot of the input that you receive has a lot of distortion in it. So as a leader, you have to be able to look at distortion, but maintain your sanity and reality. Leaders cut through the distortion. They have to realize when somebody comes up and says, Everybody's feeling this way. Everybody's thinking this. Realize that people are not in unity over good things or bad things. There is never total unity on anything in this country. Probably not in marriage either. Not total unity. So when somebody says, well, everybody wants to worship this way, or everybody wants this in a business, know immediately that's carrying some distortion. Whether you watch CNN or Fox News or MSNBC, I hope you can cut through the distortion. So there'll be a smidget of truth in there and a ton of distortion around it. And people who aren't leaders kind of buy into everything. And real leaders, whether secular or Christian, can cut through the distortion. So, I know I'm hearing someone honestly communicate what they're feeling, but leaders have to cut through the distortion. Number two, the second word that defines leadership, drama. <laughs> Coming soon to a home near you. <laughs> drama. One thing I know absolutely for sure any leadership capacity, whether it's high or low, there will never, ever be a shortage of drama or trauma. There will always be some kind of drama that's happening. 
there's always going to be someone saying, it's the end of the world. It's the end of America. Climate change now has put America on the brink of destruction. The world is going to cease to exist. I read that the other day. I thought, you've lost your mind. Drama, distortion, right? I, I was told coming up in the church 50 years ago, some of you can relate to this, how many times were you told and I were told that events have conspired together, the stars have aligned, everything's in perfect order according to the Bible, and the world is ending? Anybody remember hearing that? Y2K? 88 reasons Jesus is coming? Some vote in Europe? Somebody was the Antichrist? Or we've looked at the Mayan calendar? And the world is going to have a cataclysmic end in 2021. But here we are. This never stops. Can I tell you my pet peeve, this one? Now, you don't go to heaven based on end times. Okay, have any opinion you want. But for God's sake, I hope you have a brain. And you'd say, since nobody's been right, maybe they're wrong. You know, follow the money. And you'll find out. It sells. It's funny. If you pretend or think you know something about the future, people will pay money to hear it, even though it's a million miles from the truth. I've heard that so long, it gets me angry, because if they were your stockbroker, you'd fire them. All Christians do is line up and buy the next book. The next book. This is the end. This is the end. Jesus, my secretary, when I was a younger guy in business, she was a secretary in the church. She was sure she wouldn't have to put kids through college. Jack Van Impe told me I would never have to put a kid through college because the things had aligned and the Lords were surely coming back. And I've had to put two through college and one through marriage. How about you? Don't buy into that nonsense. Jesus will come back when he wants to. But no man knows the day or hour. Meanwhile, let's get busy doing what we do. And when he shows up, he shows up. Okay? So always drama. This is the end. I watch on social media, particularly the Christian ones line up. And, and I thought, where have you been for the last 50 years? Have you read anything? Have you even asked a question? And how come none of the guys ever say, you know, I was wrong in that book? Well, Rick... Don't you believe we're in the last generation? Well, I believe it's our last generation. But I can remember that whenever there's drama, there was always a company selling survival stuff. And I always thought, I'm very confused, because if the world is ending, why are you selling survival stuff on Christian TV? And the other guy that was selling his book on the end time was expanding the church and adding new buildings. And I thought, insane. So it's dangerous to think in religion. It causes a lot of problems. So leaders have to learn, don't overreact to drama. Any kind of drama. Don't overreact. There's always going to be drama with any church or team or business or group of people. Don't overreact. It's never as bad as you think. Number three, disruption is a key of leadership. Disruption. Disruption means something unexpected will happen to you or in business or in church life. Something unexpected will happen. If you're leading anything, something unexpected will always happen. And it doesn't matter how well you've planned, some unexpected thing will happen. The airline industry expects flight cancellations, weather delays or cancellations, maintenance issue. But airlines were never prepared for a lost airplane that has never been found to this day. Malaysia Air 370 or 40, whatever it was. They said, we've had a lot of things we know will happen. That's one we were never prepared for. Something unexpected. In the movie, 
act of valor, Navy SEAL commander said, after intense planning and training, it never goes completely according to plan. Nothing does. You may have a staff member or a team, a team member that you have who's an A player suddenly go to be a D player. Didn't see that coming. So understand that the unexpected should be expected in life. Things will happen you didn't prepare for. But God gives leaders a very simple plan. Here we go. Control what is under your control. Pray about what's not under your control. If I can control it, it's my responsibility to fix it. If I can't control what the government does, what the feds do, with, if I can't control it, I can pray about it. But the worst thing you can do is nothing. Nothing. So when it comes to things I can't control, God expects you to pray and leave it with him. Otherwise, he expects you to take some action. So in leadership, we should know there's going to be disruption occasionally. Something unexpected is going to happen. Somebody will leave your team. Somebody will resign. Somebody will get a divorce. Somebody, some strange thing will happen. They got arrested and went to jail and... Somebody molested somebody, and now there's a lot of drama or disruption about it. Didn't see it coming. So I have never put my guard down to believe just because it's a good week. I'm aware something unexpected could happen, but I'm ready. And I will control it if it's under my control. If it isn't, we'll pray about it. There will always be the unexpected and disruptions. I remember being with Bill Hybels on a conference team. Bill was in Chicago with his church, and his team had planned a statewide evangelism event in Chicago, Illinois. They had Kurt Warner at that time flying in, who was at the top of his game with the Arizona Cardinals and was the A number one quarterback. People were coming from everywhere across the nation to this event, except... They were hit with a blizzard the day of the event. Six months of preparation and money gone in a blizzard. No one could drive. No one could fly. They couldn't even get Kurt near the church. And no one showed up. Well, no need to fret over something you can't control. But you should be concerned over things you can control. And... I was thinking about the ice storm. <laughs> and I was thinking of two water heaters that blew up that we had to replace and a few pipes that exploded. And I told Cindy, my number one thought would be to put a generator on this house to keep it going, but I can't afford that. So we sprayed foam in the ceiling plus the insulation we already have to seal it. We wrapped everything with double insulation and then Cindy ordered a couple of propane space heaters so we could put one near the heater in the attic one in the shed where the water pump for the well is we made the plans we could control so that it's not likely the totality of that disaster will ever happen again I'm prepared for what I can control it slipped up on me I wasn't ready for that I don't think much of San Antonio was, but I did take care of what I could control. So uh, when people don't control what they control, it's not a lack of faith, it's a lack of discipline. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2 says, Moreover, it is required of a steward that they be faithful. So I don't know what the unexpected is or will be, but we should know what the day-to-day -day is and not get behind on day-to-day. -day. So I have my routine, I have my plan, I have my normal job assignment, I'm going to be faithful to that. When the unexpected comes, like they tell us the day before the church opens, we're going to close your road, what can we do? Couldn't control it. So we did the best thing we could, you know. We acted as hastily as possible to get our police to try to get permits uh, get people informed. We did what we could. We have to pray about it. 
They said, it'll take three months. Let's pray. It won't take three months. They're six months behind, so I'm not encouraged. I do have hope. I do have hope. Fourth word describing leadership. Disagreements. Disagreements. Somebody will always be mad or disagree. Let me make it more simple. Somebody will always be mad in the name of righteousness. There's going to be somebody who's frustrated, somebody who's going to be bothered or upset always. Disagreements, unfortunately, are a part of any leadership, whether you're leading the government, a sports team, a church, or a business. It's the same. Everybody won't like the decision or choice you make. So conflict happens with two or more people. It just happens. When there's disagreement, the goal is harmony, not agreement. And there is a big difference. I hear it in counseling. Somebody will say, you're not listening to me. And it's not many times that they're not listening to you. They just disagree. And they've learned and heard what you said clearly, but they disagree. So you can't keep saying, you haven't heard what I said. Yes, I heard what you said, but I disagree. That ought to be standard in most marriages, all right? Husbands and wives are not always going to agree. Parents and children are not always going to agree. So the goal is harmony in the home, not absolute agreement on everything. People are always going to disagree. But I don't throw away a friend because we disagree on something or a family member. I had this disagreement with my youngest daughter. I like that old-time rock and roll. I reminisce about things of old. Today's music ain't got the same soul. I like that old-time rock and roll. I don't like country music. I think it kills brain cells. Don't get mad. And I definitely, definitely did not like the music that was weird that my youngest daughter did. But what we cannot do is destroy our harmony. I love my daughter. I just don't like her music. So when she's in my car, we don't play it. How's that? So you can disagree, but we try not to destroy the harmony. I mean, we live together. We work together. It's okay to disagree on non-essentials. If something in Scripture is absolutely clear, that's a little bit more of a problem. But I still want to be your friend if we disagree. Number five, the fifth word that describes leadership, doubts. Doubts. As a leader, you're going to deal with some doubts. Now, leaders, by and large, are decisive. But as decisive as they are, seldom do they make decisions all the time without there being some questions unanswered in their mind. Nobody has all of the facts all of the time on every decision you're going to make. I've got questions. But the difference is leaders know there's a time window at which a decision has to be made. Leaders rarely have all the facts. If you have all the facts, it's called history, right? Most studies in leadership show that the average leader will have to make a decision based on about 75% of information at any given time. So there are questions and some doubts, but a decision has to be made. If it doesn't have to be made, hold off on it. But if it has to be made, then the person in charge has to make it. And I mean make it. So I want us as an elder board to be in agreement. But let's say we all agree a decision has to be made. Everybody agrees. But we're not agreed on the decision to be made. Then after discussion and prayer, I, as the leader, make the call. But I am responsible for the call, too. If I make it, I'm responsible. But when a decision has to be made, you make it. And that's it.
So leadership isn't the absence of any questions or some doubt. There are times we aren't completely and totally certain, but you make the decision with the known information that you have. That goes on in combat, that goes on in the government, that goes on in our city, that goes on everywhere. Don't have too much of it, but you'll have some of it when you're just not sure completely. You feel a strong urge, you've considered all the facts, make the call. I mean, God is gracious. It's okay. Make the call. I think the worst thing to do is fail to make the call. Don't do that. So, number six, discouragement. See, I don't care what field you're in, everybody gets hit with these. Discouragement. Discouragement for leadership is in three levels. It's personal, it's people, and it's public. You've got to deal with all three. So when you become a leader, you don't eliminate discouragement. You have more opportunities to be discouraged, whether you lead a small group in your home or a department in this church or a business that you own and have staff people. There's always something. The, the bigger it is, the more chances to be discouraged you're going to have. So, for example, a leader gets to feel discouragement when his or her message or presentation is bad. There have been a few times I've told Cindy, I just thought that sucked. I don't think I did a very good job. Okay, that's personal. But then you look back at the people and they think how bad it was. That's people discouragement. Then somebody you meet during the week says, hey, I heard it really sucked. That's public discouragement. So, so you always deal with the component of discouragement. Hey, listen to this. If you're waiting for the day you feel good and everything feels fine, enjoy those two days of the year. <laughs> then get up and be faithful like the rest of us. That's what you do. No one would do anything if you waited for the day you felt everything was fine or the day you really felt close to God. Why? You wouldn't do anything. But here's where the gift inside of you has to be stirred up and you get on with your job realizing God is bigger than your feeling. It's called faith. So I'm amazed watching some people who haven't been, maybe, the, maybe they've been in the faith longer who lose faith so easy. Faith is for bad days, not just good days. Yeah, it is. I got to believe there'll be a shelf life to this problem it too shall come to pass. And all I can do is try to encourage somebody, encourage myself. Number seven, disasters. Disasters. If you're a leader, one of the things you know is you are a first responder. You're going to be there during people's worst days if you're the leader. Now, you're going to be there when the call comes, somebody has lost a family member in a car accident. When the doctor says it's inoperable. When somebody says, my spouse has left. You have to deal, if you lead any team, you have to deal with disasters. Disasters you often had nothing to do with, but you get to be a first responder. So pastoral care is showing up and loving somebody when they think God doesn't care. When people are asking, how could God allow this? You've got to be there when those disasters hit. They're not fun at all, but be calm. And number eight, departures. Departures. If you're going to lead, you're going to lead people who aren't going as far as you want them to go, or they're not going to go as long as you wanted them to go. You become a leader when you recognize that you are not a destination. You're a sign that points people somewhere. So there will be people with you for a short term, and there will be some people with you for a long term. Every leader deals with departures. 
every leader, every church, every business. People will leave everybody's church or team. Some people are with you for a reason, some for a season, and a few for life. So what do you do? You lead the people you have. When people left Jesus, he asked the disciples, you want to go also? Jesus was saying, hey, whether you stay or leave, I'm willing to keep leading regardless or whether or not those people go or stay. It's not going to change my assignment. It's not going to change my leadership. So eight simple words that define leadership for everybody, everywhere in the world. I'm going to ask Gerald to come up here and join me for a moment. Now, those are real simple but practical things everybody feels. But I can't just show up on the days I feel good. You got to, it's like staying married on the days you feel good. That's not even possible, right? Okay, so I'm going to take my mic here for a moment. And I think Gerald is going to quiz me, I think, or going to ask some So, guys, the way this is going to run is you guys um, submitted a lot of questions. So I'm going to try to um, run through them as much as I can because there is a lot of questions, Pastor Rick. So, all right. So, guys, anytime I get a chance on the mic, I just always want to give praise and honor where honor is due. Pastor Rick and Cindy, I mean, I came here over 20 years ago, um, part of to be here. I thought I was for work, but it was to be part of this church. To, be, to get some wisdom that I didn't have at the time as a, as a young man. Um, and now I look at my life where it was and where it is now, night and day. So thank you guys for your leadership, your faithfulness, and answering the call that God has on your life because it impacted me. Thank you, buddy. All right. The first question, Pastor Rick, just want to kind of jump into it, is what are the most important skills for a leader to have? Wisdom. Wisdom. Integrity. Wisdom and integrity. God says the most important asset is wisdom. If I could preach to my 18-year-old self, I would pursue wisdom way more than I did in my earlier years because I didn't realize how important that was. A smart man can beat a talented man any day. He's smart. He knows how to navigate and move things. I wish I had, but God said it's the best thing. The other one's integrity. Can I trust you? Will you do what you said? That integrity, that's important. I know they, didn't, they only asked for two, but another one would be, where are you going? Do I want to follow? Vision. Yeah. You know where you're going and what you don't want? Uh, that's how I would pick somebody I wanted to follow. Can I trust them? And... Uh, uh, their, their, their integrity and wisdom. And that's why we have these classes here. I don't know it all. I love to keep learning. I love to learn something I didn't know, and then somewhere down the road here, it'll pop up, and I'll say, I remember that. I remember what to do in this situation. Okay. Awesome. The next question um, talks about your failures. What was one leadership failure that turned out to be a positive and turning point for your leadership? One of, the, one of the worst decisions I made but was, first of all, I had no experience. Number two, I didn't know what I was doing. I thought we could have dual headship running the church. I thought you could share the headship of a church, two or three people, and I was wrong. So the, the, the issue was I had to make corrections, hurt feelings, because that takes a power base away from somebody. And I had to accept the fact God called me, good or bad, I'm it. And I, and I remember saying, then I'm going to be that. Live or die, sink or swim, I'm going to take that role God gave me and not delegate it to other people uh, to cover my inadequacies. And that was way early when I learned that lesson. But it's a good lesson. And then I said, we had two pastors come to the church, and they want to merge and they said, uh, what, we'll get some advice. And I says, okay, right now you two guys with two churches love each other, respect each other. You want to join forces. So here's the question I'm going to ask you. Who makes the decision when you two can't agree? And then they looked at me like you're looking at me, and they thought, never thought about that. 
I say somebody has to be in charge. Somebody has to have final authority. So the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Son and the Holy Spirit submit to the Father. They're equal. They're just as important, but there's headship in the Father. So the elders are all equal. I'm not better than anybody else, but I'm the head. So, but I have to take responsibility whenever I use that final authority. That's good. This next question is kind of on the same line. What wisdom have you gained through your successes and mistakes? Failure is not final or fatal. When you make a mistake, I wish our government would do it, own it. Acknowledge it. And then what are we going to do to fix it? What are we going to do to change it so it doesn't happen again? But own it. Take responsibility when it goes bad. You're the leader. Don't shift blame. Uh, number two, the house is built. God says, unless the Lord builds the house, you labor in vain. Don't take credit when God does some wonderful things in the church. You know, credit the Lord. Credit your team. Don't get big-headed about it uh, because God could use a donkey to speak. So he's just using you, and it doesn't give you any undue notoriety and go to your head. If you have that kind of success, give God the glory and don't back. It's kind of like aftershave. Don't drink it. <laughs> Just put a little on, but don't drink it. Just to add to that, Pastor Rick, one of the things I also heard and kind of learned from you as well is not only don't take credit when um, things are going well, but don't blame yourself when things are going bad. Because when things are going well, then all of a sudden you're going to think you're the one who did it. So definitely in line. Yeah, somebody's responsible. If my marriage goes to heck, I got to be, who's responsible? I'm going to take it. I'm responsible. It's my fault. If I'm the leader, I'm responsible. I may not be guilty, but I'm responsible. Does that make sense? Yeah. When, a, when the USS Greenville attack submarine, nuclear submarine off Hawaii surfaced and hit a fishing boat, do you all remember that? And drowned a lot of, all of those little students that were on board that fishing boat off Hawaii the naval commander had a failure on his team. The guy that's supposed to clear the surface before they do the emergency blow failed. But the captain said, it is my fault, and resigned his command and left the Navy, at least honorable, and then went to the, uh, the Japanese people, learned their protocol, and apologized. Our government wouldn't let him do it, so he resigned and went and did the apology. He didn't cause the problem, but he's responsible because he was the captain of the boat. Does that make sense? It does. If it's on your watch, you're responsible. But you may not be guilty of wrongdoing, but you're responsible. Try that in our government. That's good. This next question asks, do you think the way people lead is a true and direct reflection of the people leading them? Well, I think... I think everybody at some point picks up style, method, uh, picks up some, something from the person that led them. They will pick up good and bad. That's why you need to expose yourself to more and more people to sharpen your leadership skill. But yeah, I think if you've been under somebody who procrastinates, somebody who's lazy, somebody who's indecisive, it's going to affect you. You'll tend to be like them. He that walks with wise men will get smart. Right. A companion of fools will be destroyed. In, in my days of working in business and working in the church, I was under good guys and bad guys. And I just remember, I still learned from the bad guys what I wouldn't do if I was ever in charge. Good. You can learn from anybody what not to do. Our last question on this page. What do you do when you and your leader don't communicate well? What do you do? I'd go to my leader and have a, a, a little sit-down talk and, and share. What can I do to improve uh, communication between us? What can, now, he's, he's the boss. You're the employee. So, obviously, you approach, you know, with, with kindness, respect, that you've got, to, uh, uh, you've got to address the issue somehow. 
uh, two can't walk together if they're not agreed. So I would have to say, I want to I want to fulfill your expectation for my assignment or my position, and I need you to give me clarity on what you expect of me, not leave me wandering or floundering. Now, beyond that, there's nothing else you can do but leave. That's it. Suck it up. I, right? What, what other option do you have? That's good. So this, this next one I hear a lot. Why does it take longer to, to get promoted than others? Some get promoted faster than others. It's usually the hardworking folks that need to work twice as hard to make a decent salary. Okay, there's good and bad answer here. If you're a Christian, Psalm 75 says promotion comes from God. So if you read the Bible, it took David a long time to get the throne. It took Joseph 21 years before he was promoted as prime minister. Meanwhile, God was working things out during that delay. So if you're confident that promotion comes from God, you don't want to get there early. That's like a premature baby. It's dangerous. you got to go through some stuff, and God may be trying to pull some stuff out of you in that delay. The second, the second reason is that the overseer may not feel you have the value to contribute at that level. You may be fine at the current level, but you may not qualify in his eyes to take a higher level of responsibility. That could delay it. Am I excellent in what I do? Am I on time with what I've been asked to do? Uh, do I complain? Be hard on yourself. When you're self-examining, be hard on yourself. Be honest with yourself. Uh, but ultimately, if I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, the best I know how to do it, promotion comes from God. Beyond that, I just have to wait. I see. Well, here's what's worse. When God promotes somebody that you don't like, and you think you're better than. Now, that, that really hurts. And that may be why God's doing it. Until <laughs> so, you can rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. So there's multiple facets to that. You, anything you see different on that? No, I think that's good. And, and it depends on the, on, on the season, right? There's, there, there may be, yeah. it's not yet. That, uh, uh, I, nobody gets instant promotion unless you're the child of the boss. You know, that's... <laughs> All right, this next question. How to lead positively when feeling burnt out or unfulfilled? How do you leave, lead in a positive way when you feel burnt out and unfulfilled? Okay, if you're the leader, you have to, you have to pace yourself. Lay aside every weight that, that besets you, holds you back. If you're getting, if you've got too much on you, you need to ask, have I taken this on myself or have I been assigned this? It would be appropriate to say, this is, this is causing me a health issue, this is causing me uh, an emotional issue, and ask your leader oversight if there's something that you could reduce, uh, put on somebody else's plate that would give you a breather. God is not the author of burnout. Something's wrong. Uh, you're going to have to be hard on yourself there. If somebody is putting too much on you, then you can bear. You have to appeal. If that isn't heard, then you have a choice to resign and, do some, and try something somewhere else. But at the end of the day, God does not destroy families. He does not cause you to have an emotional breakup or breakdown. Something is out of balance. Something's wrong. You're doing too much. You need to discipline your schedule, cut out what's non-essential, and you find out one day everything is not equal. Everything is not equal value. So cut out stuff that you can live without for a while. Get your sand, go to work, walk around the block, do some exercise, get a hobby, go shopping somewhere, whatever turns you on, go fishing, find a buddy that does some hobby that you like, and those are ways I break stress. Sometimes I'll just go in my side office, unplug the guitar, and plug it into an old rock and roll song and play along with it just to relieve stress. Yeah, you awesome. got to do what, what helps you. Anybody out there want to add to that? 
No, that's good. What? What? So, so this next question is kind of in the same line, so I'll just kind of ask it as well. So how can I get the motivation to be a leader in my family? How can I get the motivation to be a leader in my family? Number one, read Scripture. It tells you exactly what your responsibility is. But that won't make it happen. Number two, discipline. If I waited till I felt like being a good husband doing my job here at the church, or doing what's right, it'd be a long wait. But discipline carries me when motivation won't. Motivation will get you started. Discipline will keep you going. So when I'm not motivated, I'm still disciplined. I'll work out whether I feel like it or not. I'll take the trash out. Cindy may call me, ask me to go get something across town. I don't want to go. I go. Discipline. Discipline. So you can't wait for Tony Robbins to come on your TV and say, let's get up. You got to motivate yourself. Right? Right, Doc? Right? Yeah. We've got a couple of good leaders in here. Um, look at me, add to me if uh, you think I missed something or, or add to it. Now, I can give you an opinion unless there's clear scripture. But there are multiple ways you can do certain things. I don't have the only answer. They call it question and answers. That ought to be question and opinion. Unless it's clear scripture, then find out what works for you. One size doesn't fit everybody, but one scripture does. Scripture always fits but beyond that, you have to find out what works with you, your wife, your kids, your job, your career. And you can't be like anybody else. God made you unique. And there's nothing wrong with you. You just may have picked up things that are wrong for you. And Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden's light. So it's not going to kill you. That's just nonsense. Did I answer yeah, that? Yes, you did. That's awesome. <laughs> yes, you did. I had a good time. I don't know if I answered it. We got to it eventually. Um, so this next question, what are some ways in which leaders can give other people more control of their work? So ah, that's a good one. Did, you, did everybody hear that one again? Yeah. What, say it? Yeah. What are some ways in which leaders can give other people more control of their work? Insecure leaders will not delegate uh, responsibilities freely or often because they're afraid You'll do it better, it might make them look bad, or they're insecure. That is the worst leader to work under. So uh, don't micromanage, but clearly elicit what you expect. Detail that, or have someone that's an associate of yours or assistant make sure they know what their responsibility is, clearly. And, of course, follow up to, to, to be accountable. But clearly defined roles. Give me that question again. What? what are some ways in which leaders can give yeah. other people yeah. more control? Delegate. And there's a great book called Soar With Your Strength. And the authors of that book say, whatever's bad about you, whatever's weak about you, you won't be able to increase it much. You won't be able to make it stronger much. But if you put the same amount of time into your strength, exponentially, it'll double. So delegate your weakness. Soar with your strength. So I want to delegate to guys, if we have a financial issue, you know, one of the, one of the guys I'm going to call first is Randy Ross, a CPA, a financial planner. He's on our board of elders, was here from the start. Why wouldn't I want his advice or counsel? If it's engineering, I'm calling Russell Yeager. You know, he deals with the city. He knows all the different people. He's been to this rodeo before. So I would delegate. So for me, delegating what you can, somebody else can do, and you only do what only you can do, and you do best. So I never delegate my strength. I want to delegate my weakness so that you can cover that with your excellence and what I'm weak at. I'm not insecure, so I'm thinking, go for it. 
That's good. You know, Anybody Pastor, want to comment on that one? I'll give you a freestyle in a minute, but. That's good. Okay. All right. So this next question, Pastor Rick, I think you're really equipped to answer this um, since you work with family. How do you handle an issue with an employee when that employee is a friend or family member? That isn't hard for me. I fired my sister. That is, that is not hard for me. If, if, if they can perform, if they are skilled, if they have the gift, God bless you. But if they don't, or they're dropping the ball, I would confront them lovingly as I would anybody else. There's no difference. You may be my relative, but I'm your pastor, and you're not getting the job done. And we've got to get the job done. I'll give you one that just irritates me. Uh, let's say Gerald's a prophet, and suddenly he gets married. Now they put a park in place, prophetess, his wife. You don't get his gift because you married him. You ain't no prophetess. You're his wife. You share his honor. You share his respect, his courtesy. But you don't share his gift just because you married a prophet. And that goes on in parts of the body all the time. You don't marry into a gift. God gives the gift. You just married the guy. Yeah, that's good. Am I doing okay? <laughs> You're doing good. Okay. <laughs> you show me scripture on that and I'll eat it. I will eat it. It's not there. You cannot share a gift. That's given by God. And that's it. You, like I say, uh, if Cindy has a gift, she can operate in it. But if she can't operate in it, then lovingly, tenderly, I have to say, sweetheart, you do have a place you could fit, but that's not it. We got to find the place that you do fit. So I... I've got, listen, I've got friends across this country and other worlds who have their whole family working for them because they can't get another job. That's not a quality or a qualification to work in your company or a church. But if you have the skill and ability, I don't have any problem with it at all. If you can pull your weight and pull your gift, God bless you. That's good. And people will respect that too. But you got to earn it. And start off, if it's, if it's a family member, you know, they start off like everybody serving, being faithful, and then promote. Okay. Really good answer with Pastor Cindy in the room. Really good answer. Um, well, she'll, she'll <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong. Now, this next question, what are ways a leader can positively respond to other team members' harsh feedback? Okay, just my answer. Everybody's going to be different. Uh, you could say you're fired. That's not my, that wouldn't be my style. My first thought would be, is it true? Is it true? Secondly, if it's harsh, why? I would be very curious if we're treated with respect and nobody yells or makes accusation, why you would do that without approaching somebody privately and expressing your discontent. God says, if you're offended at your brother, go privately. God does not want to spread your offense throughout the body. If they won't hear you, take two or three with you. The whole idea is to salvage the relationship and not destroy anybody. So I've always followed that rule. But, but to me, is it true? But the way you present it, uh, for example, for an elder, bring not a railing accusation against an elder. I can remember my dad, who's military. I could see me going in shouting at my dad. He'd put my head through sheetrock. No, when I went to dad to disagree about bringing a car home on curfew or something I wanted to do, I would entreat my dad gently as a father who can kill you. I would just say... <laughs> Dad, Dad, would you consider I'd make an appeal? But I wouldn't do it hard. That's not going to work. I might bring him back to reason if I do it gently and respectfully. 
and in honor and humble myself. You got to work them. Got to work, Daddy. Yeah, you slow her down. But if you react, typically people react back. So don't do that. Stay calm. Stay in control. Don't overreact. Soft answer, for sure. You got any thoughts on that? No, just a soft answer. Renee, you got any thoughts on that? Arch, you got any on that? Okay. (laughs) Okay. All right, this next question. Um, Christians tend to overthink everything. Was there a belief held or a method practice that you had to change your mind about? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, here's one. Divorce. The church I came out of uh, as a person said if you divorce somebody, that person could never be married. They'd have to go back and marry you. They could never be married again. Well, now you've put, you've put somebody else in bondage, which means you'd have to... Now they've remarried, but you can't be married. They divorced you. Now you are in bondage which is the stupidest thing I ever heard in my life, and you'd have to, he would have to divorce again to remarry you to satisfy that religious group, which was just stupid. Number two, God says in Malachi, he hates putting away. The other uh, translation says God hates divorce, but he doesn't hate divorcees. He hates pride. He hates gossip. He mentions, in Proverbs 6, he mentions seven things God hates. Let's add those in there. He hates them, but doesn't hate you. He hates that act. So God gave Israel a bill of divorce and divorced her. Jeremiah, I think it's chapter 6 or chapter 8. You can look it up and put her away. So God is a divorcee. And I'll tell you, 90% of the preachers have never read that scripture and never even thought about it. Secondly, you can punish unintentionally the the innocent party. Nobody wants to do that. The covenant's broken. Certainly you can remarry. But my point is God doesn't like it. It hurts the family. It hurts the children. It hurts everything. It's not a good thing, but it happens. And there's life after divorce. So that's good. Uh, what was the other? Oh, that was just one, one issue. The, the other issue, uh, well, I already did a little bit on it, end times. Yeah, I realize they don't know what they're talking about. I've been with smarter men uh, who were part of the Reformation who said that was never taught, and it just never ends. Here, let me ask you a question. You, you guys are all smart enough to answer this. If I sent you a letter in the Bible. And I says, now look, you're going to have to wait 2,000 years for a computer to know what I said. What the flip good did your letter do to me in the midst of trial and suffering? You got to be mad. That's not even possible. The Bible was written for us, but it wasn't written to us. It was written to the people it was written to at that time for them. And many times, because Rome ruled, they had to code what they said, who the beast and Antichrist, it wasn't Mussolini, and it wasn't the different Pete Kissinger. It was, it was the, the Caesar, and they could be killed. So everybody in the church under persecution knew that if they say that, you know, Caesar sucks, they're going to be imprisoned, tortured, maybe killed and executed. But everybody that got the letter knew exactly what they were talking about. And most of that's already happened anyway. And the point is, these guys keep going forward trying to make some verse fit to 2023, and it never fits. The only thing I know for sure is one day, Jesus will come back. So, so you take your pick on it. I don't care. But don't be divisive about it. But be at least smart enough to realize these guys selling these books make a lot of money, and it's never true because their hermeneutics is wrong. That's a whole new story on that, but, but that's, that's it. I changed my whole, my whole view of that completely. And I, you notice I don't bring it up. I, I don't bring it up because it's just, first of all, I don't believe it, and I'm not going to preach to you something I don't believe, but I do believe in the second coming. Awesome. All right, this next question, um, 
How can a wife encourage and support her husband in becoming the spiritual leader of the family when previously it's been her? Okay. A couple of thoughts. Maybe I can hit some input on that one. What, here's what I know. My mother nagged and condemned my father for exactly the same thing, and it drove him away. She was wrong. The Bible says the chaste behavior of the wife, the believing wife sanctifies the unbelieving husband, and her chaste behavior has some impact by the Holy Spirit to help nudge him forward. But what won't get him forward is condemnation and nagging. It will have exactly the opposite effect. Pray. Be kind. Be honorable the best you can. And if you have to go alone, take the kids and go alone. And never condemn. Say, sweetheart, I'll be back. We'll have dinner ready. We'll go la, la, la. It will work a lot better for you. It's not ideal. There's no perfect answer. And there's no quick way to get hubby to be the spiritual leader. But it's the only option you have. So, Gerald. That's good. You know, I did a funeral um, maybe a, a, a few years ago, and I remember the husband um, um, said this because the wife came to this church. And um, this is what the husband said when I first came and, and um, interviewed. And, and he said, you know, Gerald, for 20 years, she's been trying to get me to come to church. And I've always said no. But actually, the church has been coming to him for 20 years because she, every day she would come to the church here. And the next Sunday after I did the funeral, he was the first person here. And when I looked at when Pastor Rick did the altar call, he was the first hand that I saw. He went right up front. So I, 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 I think sometimes, again, it's being the church is not just, hey, um, um, telling people what to do, but it's literally being the church and taking it out to, in your home itself. Yeah. There's just no easy answer to that. There's just no easy, quick fix. Just for our kids, we need to say, if you're going to be dedicated to Jesus, you're going to be involved and serve, you better be sure who you hook up with is at least going your way, at least to solve some problems. Because I've watched sometimes it destroy a marriage. And Absolutely. that's that's even worse said. I just I wish I had a quick fix for that, but I don't have a quick yeah. fix. All right, guys, we have about two questions left, so just hang in there. Um, this is a very long question, so I'm going to kind of sum it up a little bit. Um, so this person says, you know, I send daily devotions and um, and prayers to a large group of family and friends, and pretty much they're now looking to me to solve their finances and their family situations. How do I deal with family and friends? Second page, hold on. <laughs> when they are wanting me to be involved with helping to solve their personal situations or financial issues. And I, I point them to God, but um, this can be overwhelming. Yeah, use caller ID. <laughs> That's unbelievable. That's good. Yeah. Here's what, I, here's what I would do. Number one, never tell somebody what to do. Why? Because if it goes bad, they will blame you. I would say, here's what I would do, but I can't tell you what to do. Okay? And then good. I use referral. If it's something in real estate, there's a couple of people I go to. If it's medical, we have several doctors I go to for referral. Not, I'm not qualified to handle those issues, but I can direct somebody to people who are excellent in that area. That's, that's helpful as well. But I never tell anybody what to do, even when I know what they should do. But I can say, well, if it were me, here's what... I would do, but you're responsible to make that kind of a choice, not me. That's good. All right, our last question. How do you prepare for the future while living in the present? That's easy. You do your job today. 
you're faithful in a little thing, at some point you're qualified for more big things. If you're irresponsible where you are today, you can kiss tomorrow goodbye. So you better be excellent, faithful with what you have today. And if God has something bigger for you, it'll open up that. But if you're careless about today, then tomorrow won't, won't, won't be a bright day for you. Be faithful where God plants you. And then because promotion comes from the Lord, it'll lead to something bigger. Joseph was faithful even in prison. He didn't just say, well, I got a raw deal. Uh, they were, it's uh, racial discrimination because he's Jewish and that in an Egyptian economy. He just said, okay, what's the, what am I supposed to do? He did it. He never complained. He did it well. And the supervisor said, I'm going to make you trustee over the whole thing because I can trust you. And little by little by little, it led him to become prime minister of Egypt. So that's what I would say. Anybody want to add something to that? No, I think I think. In other words, if I'm going to have perfect. any future, it's going to come out of my daily discipline, what I do today. Faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in much. But if you're not, then God says, who will entrust to you what, what you should have? Hey, thanks again for joining us today. If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe and share it with a friend. Follow me by visiting the links in the description. I'm praying today that God richly blesses you this entire week.